0: Welcome back to Firewall. I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. My guest today is Sam Saper. So Sam, we've talked about you on the podcast before. Really? Um, Yeah, so Hugo one day, I think I was complaining about The New Yorker, and Hugo said, I found this substack by a guy who just like... Picks one story every week and really goes in depth on it. It's like that's so both fucking weird and interesting. I was exactly. Like, we should have him on. and here you are. So thank you for uh, for
1: coming in. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah.
0: So let's just give the listeners a little bit of a picture of you. So you are uh, a, a film student. You are living with your wife in Jersey City. Mm-hmm. You're from Orlando, but then Baltimore, and I identify with Baltimore more as yeah, your place definitely. at home. Um, give us a sense of like. What you're studying, what you're interested in, and, and then how that turned into this Substack.
1: Sure. Well, it, there's sort of a little bit of a, a, a disconnect there. So, but I'll, I'll briefly say what I'm studying and interested in is experimental film, and uh, you know, basically anything really weird I'm into. And obviously, the city is a great place to do that. Um, but the Substack really is something that I I had actually done years ago on Facebook. Uh, soon after I finished undergrad when I was sort of bored um, and stopped doing, I maybe did it for six months, and then all of a sudden I was sort of thinking, you know, I'm reading The New Yorker cover to cover every single week, um, and I would even jot down my thoughts, and I would just do nothing with it. And there there was actually a newsletter called uh, Tilly Minute that I really loved, uh, that I read during undergrad, that sort of got me into... The New Yorker, not just as something where I would read one story, but something where I would really sort of read almost the entire magazine. Um, and I, I just loved that newsletter. And I thought I could do my spin on that because it had been dormant for, you know, six or seven years. I figured they're not going to bring this back. Um, so I brought it back in my own way, which is, whereas Tilly Minute was extremely concise, I sort of go on and on a little bit. Um, but I try to make it as uh, something that's entertaining to read, and I have there's a surprising number of people that read my newsletter. That yeah, don't. I was going to ask,
0: is is it catching on?
1: It's it's done well, and what I was going to say is, um, I'm always shocked by this, but a lot of people read the newsletter and don't read. The New, the New Yorker, Yorker yeah. They and, read, it's like
0: people read literary criticism right, instead of books, yeah. exactly.
1: Which I definitely yeah, for do. For I mean, I'm, I'm that kind of guy, but yeah. yeah um, so yeah, so it's it's done decently well, which has been you know a pleasant surprise. I would I would write it for no one. So so yeah.
0: so when you when you read it cover to cover, yeah. Um, that means that you must be one of the more intellectually curious people on the planet, right? Because, you know, there is what I find, and I'm, I'm now going to complain for a few minutes about The New Yorker, but before I start moaning about it, um, there is, you know, a variety of stories. It's sort of reliably one kind of political story, but it's usually like something sciency or whatever. Um, you you like everything equally? Like, how do you, like, why, why don't you skip stuff?
1: I i i think i am intellectually curious thanks for saying that and i'll I'll take that compliment um i think that i like the format of medium to long form thoughtful carefully researched carefully fact-checked uh like pieces on anything and in fact After I read The New Yorker, I try to get it done by Wednesday or Thursday, then I read New York Magazine. Not necessarily cover to cover, but I I would say I read a lot of New York Magazine, and that's my sort of weekend subway read. That's kind of the
0: relaxing version of it. A little bit,
1: exactly. But, you know, I'm I'm just a sucker for that kind of thing, that sort of article. And to me, it's like, uh, what's so fun about it is you never exactly know what to expect. How much about both, just
0: giving the title of each place, the New York and the New Yorker, is because you have a a fascination or love for New York City? Or is it just totally removed at this point where, like, that happens to be the title of, especially the New Yorker, but it's not really in any way connected to to New York?
1: I do love New York City. Um, I think that my love for the New Yorker may be almost sort of predates it and so mm-hmm. it's maybe the connection is sort of in the going in, in the other direction in that sense but um, but I think it's fairly separate but I'm not sure I will say quickly um, they cut down goings- on about town which I'm really sad about Bastards. it used to be three yeah. pages now it's like one and it's like oh there is so that was so great especially their uh, art gallery reviews that is a real loss that yeah. they don't not so
0: I will money. say because now I'm about to start criticizing The New Yorker, the the stuff that I tend to like more are, like, the film reviews are really funny. I think oftentimes or like, a lot of the cultural stuff, but because it seems to me that there was a mentality slash business model for The New Yorker that existed pre-Trump and then a different one post-Trump. And it's not just The New Yorker. I'd say they do the same thing as The New York Times and Fox News and MSNBC, which is, you know, they've made the decision that, rather than in in my view giving people a lot of facts and a lot of information and then letting people draw their own conclusions Mm. they now pound you over the head with like this is what you have to think this is what right this is what's wrong everything that we don't like is evil everything that we do like is holy um and i fucking hate being told what to think you know Mm. it pisses me off and i've stopped mainly reading the new yorker because it just annoys me right and like I understand politics well enough to be able to read an article without some reporter who, quite frankly, knows a lot fucking less about politics than I do mm-hmm. 95% of the time, telling me, you know, just so that they get sort of cheered on by their friends on, on Twitter, you know, that, that, you know, someone is inherently evil because they're a capitalist or they make money, whatever it is, or someone's holy because they're an advocate for some cause. Like, yeah. I think it went from being an objective news source that was really intellectually challenging to just another business that has figured out that if we just tell people what we want to hear and, and preach to the choir, there will be a, a dedicated base of revenue that we can count on. Interesting, um, and that's worked. The New York Times has become a much more profitable business ever since Trump. Um, so my view, my view is, I, there's no real. I don't value the New Yorker anymore because I feel like it has stopped being an objective, interesting source of information. And it's just become a, a, another place for people to sort of virtue signal. Um, tell me why I'm wrong.
1: Well I, I sort of have two questions to ask yeah. in response to that. The first is do you do you only see this in sort of the straight politics coverage or do you see it inflecting it, It's fair.
0: It's a little bit of both, right? Yeah. So I would say clearly in the in the straight politics coverage. Yeah. And I think I think that reporters are incentivized, whether mm. it's consciously or subconsciously, to write this way. So even in articles that are about tech or business or other things like yeah, that Yeah, they'll bring up they, they find ways to bring it up yes. they, you know when something is totally about a scientific you know uh, discovery whatever else it, it may be removed from that and by the way the really good writers who probably the new yorker can't tell what to write still do it great so like yeah. i read your you know analysis of the gagosi piece and i read patrick Ryden's yeah, piece yeah, yeah. and it was fucking amazing but one things yeah. that was amazing was he, let, he, he presented all the facts, yeah. and then he let the readers sort of draw their own conclusions. Yeah. Yeah. And I really appreciate that. Now, he's like the best of the best, so, yeah. so no one's going to tell that guy what to write. Right. But but I think that that's, he's become the exception, not, not the rule. Mm.
1: No, you know, I don't know if I agree about the exception, not the rule. Um, I think that—so I will say, I, I'll agree with you that during the Trump years, there was a very annoying tendency— To have two or three lines about Trump in pieces that didn't warrant it. Um, To me, that is more like a tick, or like something <laughs> where I'm like, I'm sure that like David Remnick is like wanting to do that, and that's his little thing. And it's almost there's something a little bit charming about it. It's like annoying in sort of a charming way. But you know, just like with people, something that I find annoying in a charming way, you're like, oh, that's a deal breaker. I can't right. I can't talk totally. to this person anymore. Yeah. I can't be friends with them anymore. Um, I, I think that they have not. They're not doing that as often. Um, I think it's tricky also, you know, it's like I I've written myself into this very specific niche, which is like I read the print magazine. And what the print magazine has, they have one tiny little column called comment that's like straight news, and then most of those feature pieces are pretty deeply reported. Yes. Um like, you know, and they're they're pretty, they're not usually pegged to here is something that has happened. Uh, they're usually pegged to, like, here's something that happened six months ago that we're going to tell you about in more detail. Here's something that might be happening in the future, and we're going to sort of go into that. Um, and I think they do a really excellent job of that. I have, I, I have my gripes with comment. Uh, I definitely think that... Uh, I think that comment is very incentivized to frame everything as something new that has happened, and if they would think about it more as a serial, right, as politics, as something that where you have to know what's going on to even get it and stop trying to explain everything that's led up to this point every single week, they could have much more nuanced uh, takes uh, in that section. Yeah,
0: so so I think my complaint about The New Yorker is not the, I think the usual complaint, tell me if that's what you, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. just, there's so much. It's so long. I only have. I don't have time to do all of this. Yeah. And people feel overwhelmed, and then the stack just piles up and up and up, and yeah. it almost becomes like this weird burden. Yeah. Um. So for the for the average person who wants to sort of get in, obviously the short answer is read your Substack. But but right. but putting that aside, and, and obviously if we didn't like your Substack, we wouldn't ask you to come on the podcast. But how would a discerning reader? What's a guide for a discerning reader? who has time to maybe read one article to sort of be able to look at the table of contents and analyze and sort of make a decision like this one.
1: Yeah, I, I do think a lot of it has to do with the writer. And of course, that's something that it's contradictory because you have to have read to get a sense for, oh, here's what, what right. writers you like and don't like. Um, I would say a lot of the time, the best article in the piece is the one when you look at the table of contents and you go, what the hell is that? I I don't know anything about that or that doesn't seem interesting to me or, like, that's not something I've seen in the news. That's where there's, like, there's a reason that made the New Yorker. You know what I mean? Like, there's something really great in that story. A lot of the time, the weaker articles, you know, and they're not always the weaker articles, but if there's a really obvious news peg, sometimes those will feel like, oh, this just made the magazine because it is related to something that people are seeing because it's going to get shared on, I don't know what social media people are using now, but whatever, it'll get shared. Um, and those maybe are not not as strong. So that's in general, but it's, yep. it's obviously, it's not a hard and fast rule or I wouldn't have to write my newsletter.
0: Right. What's the, okay, so let's say someone said, you know what? This podcast is perfect because now he's talking to the expert so rather than even one person trying to figure out through the table of contents kind of what's weird or different, like right. what are the three best stories you've read in the last year that you just think everybody should read?
1: Well, I have. I did the. I did my five favorite of the year so far, and I started this this newsletter. All right, so at give the us all five year. yeah. Yeah. So let me think. My num- I. I might not be able to remember them. I know my number one was *The Fog* by Larissa McFarquhar, which is this amazing reported piece about adoption that like changed the way that I think about. Adoption as a thing, and the way that I think about adopted people. Um, what was her thesis? Uh, that that it is basically an identity marker. That it's like it's something that hap- that is really fundamental to who you are, and that there's if you are a parent that's considering adoption, that you really need to consider that this is not just going to be your kid. This is going to be like your kid that's also an adopted person, and that you have to like. Really think about that carefully and it also just was such a feat of like Gorgeous lyrical writing. Um, So that's the best thing I've read I'm trying to remember what some of the other ones are there was one about Stax records that by um, Burkhardt Bilger who's a reliably amazing Writer and some yeah. other good ones. Yeah,
0: so then who, who are Hugo? I just have to say that's something?
2: my rule number one of the New Yorker is always read Burkhardt Bill. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, so, so let
0: me ask both of you guys this then. So, like, let's say the audience, like, okay, you guys yeah. have already done all the work. You're like two of the people that do read it thoroughly. Yeah.
2: I don't read it anywhere nearly as thoroughly as Sam <laughs> Well, as. he took his
0: job
1: now. But, right. like,
0: <laughs> yeah. give me a couple of writers that, you know, like a Burkhardt or Patrick radden Keefe, where it's like, okay, if you see that, you should probably choose to read that one.
1: Well, there's who you choose to read there's also i would say there's like the writers where they have such a strong voice that every installment is like another installment in the story of that guy so like the one that always comes to mind is adam gopnik who um uh, just has this particular way of um weaving in anecdotes that don't really have anything to do with the story at hand but in sort of a beautiful way um, I I love a lot of their critics, Helen Shaw, who they just somewhat recently is their sort of new theater critic. Is just like one of the great prose stylists working. Um, uh, Ariel Levy or Levy uh, has a sort of an ongoing like notable women profiled uh, beat that it just is really amazing and almost sort of better as a whole than any of the individual pieces are like. Just as sort of a, a t- treatise on feminism uh, and, and women and like what women get to be popular or get to be sort of known. Um, God, uh, that's just off the top of my head. I mean, I, I have takes on a- anyone writing, of course, which is sort <laughs> right. of, I think, if you read the newsletter for a long time, I'm hoping that what can be kind of funny is like you get to know sort of my opinion on this person. And then if I like it more or less than that, it's, that's sort of notable. Um, the the I remember the Tilly minute always hated Jeffrey Tubin as much for the prose styling e- even before he got in trouble. oh long before yeah. right they must um, must
0: have been thrilled when when he really took himself I mean down. it yeah. was that was
1: yeah but yeah and and Tubin really you know not his ideas were I would say mediocre but he really could not write. Um, not to make any enemies, I won't say any anyone that's working there. But Sam, you seem. Un- to,
0: to, but if you, you want Sam's home address, just yeah. text me no. yeah. but,
2: but but Sam, you seem totally unafraid of making enemies because you're you, you know the 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 substack is yeah. very. I mean, it can be quite harsh. Yeah. 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 Um, so tell me how that. I guess how does that feel like? Like I mean, <laughs> I, I you know you wrote something. I did not read the article, so I don't want to. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to sure. offer my own opinion, but you were super. You trashed a Dexter Filkin story. Dexter is a, a you know very well legend. respected yep. legend. Um, so, but you kind of fearlessly went after him. Um, tell me about that. And
1: do you get any blowback from that? Do you hear from people like, "Hey, back off"? Or, <laughs> <laughs> so far, not really. Um, and I have actually gotten some really sweet, um, positive feedback from people whose articles I've liked. Um, uh, I would. Uh, so there's a couple things. I'm not in the media industry. And so I think the newsletter only works because I'm an outsider. Um, the previous the person that ran the Tilly minute was in the industry, and because of that had to be super anonymous. Um, and that's fine, but I think there's something great about, you know, I'm not anonymous. I am putting my reputation on the line. Um, the Filkins piece, you know, I think there's two things going on there you know I'm I'm a leftist I'm to the left of the New Yorker Uh, so you know I that's I'm sure it's a little bit different than probably a lot of your listeners Um, I I felt that that piece in service of making an argument that was inhumane skewed the facts and to me that's like really like what are you what are you doing Um, and yeah Falcons is 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 great and I've read I think it's called The Forever War, the book, and it's amazing. And so, you know, he is a legend, and so therefore, who the hell cares what I think? He's going to be fine. I'm not hurting his career. <laughs> you know, and, and I think also, like, it's like a theater critic or a movie critic has license to be mean, and there's no really such thing as, like, a meta-journalism critic because it's it's ridiculous. But I have to give myself that license, and I, I always say... Um, the newsletter is catty but not cruel. Yeah. And like, I try to reread it and I try to make sure that's always true. Yeah, and you're not doing your readers any. F- if, if it's purely hagiography,
0: right? If it's just like right. you blowing smoke up their ass right. the whole time, like, why would anyone bother to read your Substack? Right? Yeah. It doesn't, I don't think it needs to be, like you said, consistently. Critical either, but like it should be this is really great. This was not great. Like something things can't be great if other things are not not are not great.
1: Yeah. And something that I think is missing from the media conversation in general, that I really hope this newsletter helps bring back is this like I think that maybe Twitter did this a little bit, which is it flattens the conversation into things are perfect or horrible. And there's so right. much space in between. There's so much space for things to be flawed but valuable right. or for them to be, you know, messed up but with, like, one really good that, that
0: was my point, right, which I think that the New Yorker used to be much more in the gray in between, mm. which is where the interesting stuff happens. And now, at least in the political coverage, it's sort of perfect or horrible, mm. which to me is, like, intellectually uninteresting and insulting.
1: Yeah, and what's funny is... I read the New Yorker every week. I very, I very rarely read the like um, letter from Washington, which they just put up online. Uh, and so it's sort of I have to kind of be like, yeah, I don't, I don't really know. Like I don't re- I don't think I read the thing that gets shared that p- gets people angry about Trump um, because it's usually not in the magazine. I don't know. A lot of the time it's it's letter from Washington, letter, you know, or like um, I don't know. A lot of the, a lot of the. Beat by beat political coverage is online only. Now, I will say, um, I'm blanking on the name. That guy that does interviews, um, that, that oftentimes they'll sort of be takedown interviews, those are online. Oh, Isaac? Isaac? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are just. Great, and I do. I make a point of usually reading those, uh, and those are online only.
2: So Bradley, I'm going to ask a, a very Bradley question. Okay, I'm I think like you're kind of taking over this. Um, well, I'm sorry. This is right up your alley. I, uh-huh. I got to well, get. I want I want to. I think we need to give Sam the magic wand. Okay. So, so you're 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 David Remnick, and yeah. you have um you have a month to kind of renovate the magazine mm-hmm. and make it uh, make it's it, it great Sam's, Sam's yeah. New Yorker. Yeah. What what are the what are the areas you'd want to work on? Like, is there writers you'd want to promote, downgrade? <laughs> Um, subjects you want to go into, things you want to change, critics you want to replace. What's the what's the agenda?
1: Yeah, I think the agenda is make the New Yorker weirder. Um, and I think that you know, like I said, like usually my favorite thing is like the weirdest thing. I would give the writers freer reign on subject matter. Not not freer reign in the sense that you know, the old regime where people would be taking three years on a story. I think that's probably where it needs to be for the, you know. But I would, I would say go wild and, like, do the story that we didn't let you do before because that's—the New Yorker's the only place left where people are able to do that. And every writer that's, like, having to go talk to Pritzker or, like, whoever the hell— is like a writer that's not chasing down some crazy story. Um, it's not the times. You don't have to do boots on the ground reporting. And I think, like, I think Remnick, to a large extent, sort of already gets that. Um, but I would, I think, the magazine could be even wilder. And like, sure, the online stuff can be boots on the ground. All right, so Hugo and, and
0: uh, listeners, I think, already know this. Hugo has a deep background in magazines, including having been the editor of the New York Times magazine. If if Remnick took Sam's advice, ha- do they lose readers, or do you think it takes them in a better direction?
2: Well, I think what Sam says is really interesting, because I think if they did the sort of regular political boots-on-the-ground type stuff online, and they let the magazine be crazier and wilder, I actually think that, that works business-wise. I mean, I, I think it... Because there, I think there is a... There is a separate identity that they've been building, and that there is a market for, you know, that, that people want that anti Trump, whatever mm-hmm. sort of political coverage, and they like Isaac's interviews. And, and there's just a, a thing that they've developed there. It's not your taste, Bradley. I'm not sure it's mine either, but it, I think it works. Yeah. Um, and and yet, the magazine as a place where really like insane shit could happen. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I, I agree with you too. Although it's interesting because the, you know, we were talking about the, the Gagosian story. And that wasn't a crazy subject for them at all, right? That's a, no, pretty, it was a very New Yorker kind of yeah, subject. yeah. yeah. Um, and it and it felt good to see a big figure like that. You know, like that yeah. that's a pretty down the middle subject for them. And then right. I really did like it. But on the other it hand, was good. I think I think it was actually Dexter did the DeSantis profile they did last year. And, you know, everybody was doing their DeSantis profile and they were all the same and who cares, you know. Right. It's like it was just like very obligatory, okay,
1: we gotta do this. And yeah. Then, um, it just wasn't so, – it, it had no value for – And and I will say, like, the Gogosian piece, that is not weird subject matter, but I loved that they let it be as long as it was. And, like, that is sort of weird in another way. I think they could do, like, you know, they're already, like, the long read spot. Let the pieces go really long. Let them sometimes be a little bit shorter. Um, it, you don't need every – issue to have exactly four pieces and they're exactly the same length. So that'd be another note. And let the um, let the critic pieces be longer when they need to be. I hate it when the theater review feels like it got chopped way, way, way down. You know what I mean? Or like the art review feels like it got chopped down.
0: So question for both of you then, which is what are some publications, outlets, websites, whatever,
1: that do capture the kind of weirdness that, that you would bring to The New Yorker? Um, as far as cr- critics the critics pages i have to shout out four columns which is just a awesome publication where every week they have exactly four columns and it'll be like uh you know a a review of a gallery show or review of a movie and they're it's just the best writing um as far as reported stuff i mean i think the thing is like the new yorker is kind of the number one Place in town, and I'm not saying like I think they're already weird, and that's why they could go weirder. You know, I mean, I could give you a list of the usual suspects. I've often said like, you know, if I were going to do this for another publication, the 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 two that I could sort of choose would like be the Atlantic Review or the Paris Review Review, which is a different kind of kind of writing. Yeah. Um, they're yeah. kind of the biggest game in town.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. I have found myself, I guess, replacing some of my New Yorker consumption with The Atlantic, mm-hmm. although online, not, not the print version mm-hmm. of it. Um, and I can't decide if it actually is a little more nuanced than The New Yorker or if I just want it to be, as a, so therefore it proves mm-hmm. my point about The New Yorker.
1: Like, do you read The Atlantic? I, re- I don't read it regularly, um, but I will read a story. You know, I'm I I have to shout out today in tabs Rusty Foster's newsletter, which I will I read every week, every day, every single thing that Rusty Foster links. Um, fantastic way to get your, your your links, and he'll often link to an Atlantic beast, and I'll read it if he links through to it. Um, uh, I I think the Atlantic's fine. I think that they are less weird. Um, yeah. Yeah, way less weird significantly yeah. less definitely, weird definitely. and so to me that's not as appealing you definitely. know they're also a little bit a little bit to the right um although it's like it's two scatter plots you know what i mean it's two scatter plots that mostly are overlapping in terms of like every piece has a different sort of political position so it's not sort of this hard and fast thing um but you know that appeals to me 20 percent less what, what are some other substacks that you like um today in tabs there's there's a good one if you're like super it's too intellectual for me to be honest but it's called the, it's gotta be unreadable it's, it's really something it's called the washington review of books uh i think or the i I hope that's right um and it just tends to be like you know what's in the london review of books like what's in the you know it's, it, it'll just be basically linked linked through um god i subscribe to a lot um, Do you subscribe
2: to The Browser? Because that's, uh, that's actually where I heard about you from the guy who runs The Browser, yeah. Robert Cattrall. He said, oh, there's this awesome uh, newsletter that just the guy reads yeah. the, the, every what, issue of The New just, Yorker. What is The Browser? So The Browser is a, a daily newsletter that gives links from basically all over the world, like crazy magazines yeah. you've never heard of. They'll occasionally have a New Yorker piece in there or something yeah. from The Atlantic, but it's generally mar- much further afield. Things can be very obscure and very scientific or very like deep culture, but yeah. but they're kind of everything. And but they also do great video things in there and podcasts. And yeah. they're just that guy's got this incredible mind and yeah. ability to go through just so you know amount of for stuff. for
0: the episode notes for this one, Hugo. Can We're we gonna put up. Like, your recommendations and Sam's recommendations, because most of the stuff you guys have said in the last seven minutes— You're like, what the hell I, are you yeah. talking about? Right, never heard of, but, like, I'm going to go check some of yeah, them out.
1: Yeah, Today in Tabs does much the same thing as the browser, and that, similarly, is, like, a one-stop shop. I, I like the browser. I think it has a very similar uh, aegis, and I can, I only have time for, like, one one-stop shop. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, so,
2: so Today in Tabs is your one-stop that's shop? That's my one-stop shop. Interesting. Yeah. So
0: yeah. I'm, I'm going to give you the magic wand again, but on a, outside of the media yeah. criticism, which is uh, you when we were chatting before we started recording, you worked at a bookstore once. Yes. So we're sitting in, in my bookstore. Um, it is a challenging business to run, to say yeah. the least. Um, what advice would you give us?
1: So the place that I worked, um, Red Emma's in Baltimore, uh, just a wonderful business, Um. Is worker owned, and uh, they did some wonderful stuff um, in the Baltimore area, helping some other businesses like Joe um, Squared Pizza um, turn into employee owned businesses. Um, and I, I think that's a wonderful model. And they have some really, really smart ideas to, about. To, it. to be clear, I would be more than happy to share the loss <laughs> with my employees. <laughs> yeah, um, and I, I, I think to be honest. I always say this about Baltimore. The reason why it's so wonderful is it's the only city left on the East Coast where you can not make money, and that's fine. Um, you know what I mean? Like without, like you know, someone right. No shame t- no, to no. bankroll it. There's yeah. like you can actually have a functioning business that just like basically. Br- right. Like no. This doesn't. I, make money.
0: I honestly view this store as philanthropy.
1: Right, right. Exactly. And you wouldn't have to in Baltimore. And I think and if, anywhere else on the East Coast, you you. Would have to view it as philanthropy, Um, and that's probably changing for that exact reason. But it's it's changing slowly because the city has other issues. Um, I, I think bookstores every book. I'll just say every bookstore is like its own animal. You should go for your weirdest impulse. I don't know. Stock zines. That's a good good thing to do. Um, Other than that. You know, just any idea that you have that you want to say is too weird, do that. because we, that's where you're gonna, Lean
0: into the weirdness. Yeah,
1: that's where you're going to get customers. So it's the same advice. I'm, I'm
2: detecting
0: a, a theme here. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's a good one. We like that. Sam, how do people uh, subscribe to your Substack?
1: Yeah, um, last week's newyorker.substack.com. You go there. Uh, if you want to pay me some money for it, that's always wonderful. And you get access to the um, cartoon and poem supplement. Uh, which I've heard is actually the people that subscribe to it really like it. I view it as a little bit uh, even more ridiculous than the, the main <laughs> product, but, um, but it's fun. And um, yeah, I hope that you uh, enjoy reading The New Yorker. I hope yeah. that, yeah. I think people will. And,
0: and uh, yeah, I highly recommend people check out Sam's Subsex. Sam thanks for joining us.
1: Absolutely. Thank you.